My name is Aaron Dono, and welcome to another episode of How to Love the Dark, a podcast where I walk my wife and one of my good friends down the long, shadowy path to horror cinema obsession as I try to take them from novices of the macabre to bloodbath experts one film at a time. This week, we watch 1988's A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. But before we get into that, let me introduce my co-hosts. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach to the internet and introduce Torin first. Hello, Torin. Oh, how are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm uh, drinking a White Claw, ruminating on the Dream Master. You know, just a white, my best life. A White Claw is like a pretty thematic. Drink. I know. I was literally just thinking about that. I was like, man, <laughs> we gotta find a way to like work in some sort of drinking game with White Claws instead. Instead. <laughs> Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, especially maybe after this point. This is the jumping off point where alcohol may have to be consumed alongside these movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably more true than you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> before we talk too much about this movie, uh, uh, Anna, my wife, sitting directly to my left, how are you? My day got a thousand times better the moment you started doing finger guns during the intro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, decide, I decided. That was awesome. That bit was just for you. Aww. Oh, so we are now four movies deep into our journey through the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, that makes us halfway. We are halfway oh my done. God. Thank Lord. And uh, we're also done with good ones for a while. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to super <laughs> display all our opinions, but. This movie is different than the last three. We're going to do the synopsis, how we did the last episode. We're going to pass it around. Before we do that, uh, just a re-up on our content warning. Uh, it's a Nightmare on Elm Street, so this movie has discussion of child murder, uh, sexual assault and rape, blood and gore, and nudity in this movie. And uh, this directly follows the last one in a way that the movies haven't really connected before. So... After a quote from the Book of Job, we see Kristen, now played by Tuesday Night instead of Patricia Arquette, come across a little girl drawing the Elm Street house in chalk. It suddenly gets dark and rainy. It's very clear we're in some kind of dream. Uh, and Kristen ends up on the front porch of the house itself with jump rope girls doing their usual shtick in the front yard. She goes inside the house, and then she tries to escape it through the door, but it just goes back into the house like there's that old gag, and finds herself stuck. Then wind knocks her down into the boiler room, and that startles her enough that she uses her dream power to summon Kincaid and Joey into the dream, and they're not excited about that. <laughs> they insist that Freddy is dead, and she's gotta cut it out. Joey says that the pipes in the boiler room are cold, and has her touch it when he opens it for her to get close and see that the fire's not inside. Uh, we get a good jump scare with Kincaid's dog jumps through the fur and bites Kristen, scaring her awake and sending everyone out of the dream. So we see her wake up and rubbing her arm where that dog bite came through into real life from the dream world. We have to mention the fact that Kirsten gets the savage bite mark on her arm and then just proceeds to go back to sleep without any sort of being phased or wanting to clean it. <laughs> she's getting a really bad yeah. dog bite on her arm. Yeah. She's, and, she's gotten so many injuries in her sleep now, she's like, nah. That's true. That's true. Um, well, after this happens, the next day, she goes to pick up her friend Alice, who we're introduced to, whose dad is both uh, hungover and fixing himself a drink showing that he's an alcoholic. 
Nikki criticizes Alice for her outfit, despite it being like a fairly long plaid dress. It's pretty conservative. Rick, her older brother and Kristen's boyfriend, sneaks out of the house, uh, jumping through like his window and uh, climbing down the eave of the house um, to avoid uh, all contact with his dad. And Kristen and Rick uh, share a kiss and they all head up to school in her Volkswagen Golf. Um, when they get to the parking lot, we meet Alice's uh, friend Debbie, who talks about how this jock named Dan on the other side of the parking lot is super hot. Alice uh, also thinks so, because we see a daydream where Dan walks over and she awkwardly, very, very awkwardly flirts so with him. So cringe. But in, in real like life... In this film. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But in real life, uh, she's too shy for that, so it cuts back to reality, and Dan is still across the parking lot. Sheila then rolls up on a scooter, and she is the nerd of the group. She even has an inhaler um, to really drive the point home. Debbie prods her about, like, needing help with her homework because she was too busy uh, staying up watching soap operas. And then Debbie finds a cockroach in her bag of chips and gets super grossed out, throws it onto the ground, and stomps on it, uh, which will become relevant later. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the goopiest cockroach yeah. I've ever seen. He immediately liquefies. Yeah. It looked like it was like filled with Vaseline when she yeah. stepped on it. After the parking lot scene, we are at Kristen's locker, where Kristen closes her locker and Kincaid and Joey are behind it, because somehow they're all at the same school now. But they're still annoyed with her for bringing them into her dream, and Joey warns her that if she keeps going back into the Freddyverse, she might actually just wake him up so just leave it alone rick comes up and says that he thinks they're weird and Kristen says that rick must think she's so weird and he's like nah but it's hot that's good it's a good synopsis <laughs> yeah. truth our next scene rick else's brother is practicing karate in the garage to some drama rama which man if you happen to watch this movie <laughs> it, the soundtrack is so good it is so good. yeah definitely uh Went all out on the royalties to get some real good music in this, uh, this film. Yeah, he's he's a total like Japan flag like headband. He's a total karate weeb. Uh, he's a total karate <laughs> like, ninja kid in the eighties. Um, yep. Rick goes outside and has this incredibly cringe moment with his dad. And when his dad comes in, he asks about dinner. They said they had to move on with Adam because he was gone till like ten at night. He then berates Alice over the fact that. All she has to give him is a salad. She does what, if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, everyone has done and had that moment where you thousand yards stared and daydreamed about smashing the bull through the, the table or over their head and uh, yelling at him. But she is too timid um, and takes the abuse. Yeah. We then cut to Kincaid, uh, who, you know, it's been fun to have him in this movie. He dozes off, and he wakes up in the junkyard uh, where they buried Freddy last movie. Uh, Jason the dog is scratching at the ground, and then he pisses fire, <laughs> causing the ground to split open, and Freddy's corpse begins to reform. Freddy steps up out of the chasm, puts his hat back on, says, you shouldn't have buried me, I'm not dead. And then he begins, like, uh, chasing Kincaid, moving the cars, like, shifting the cars around to, like, trap him. At one point, Kincaid does disappear and uh, push a car onto Freddy and thinks he's won, but short-lived victory. Um, Freddy continues to stalk him and eventually, like, seals him in a little part. We get this cool zoom-out overhead shot 
as Kincaid yells that Freddy's back, um, presumably trying to get Kristen to hear it. Um, but then Freddy appears in front of him and ends him with a claw to the gut or sternum. We literally just saw watched a documentary that had a little clip on this where uh, Ken Sagos, the actor who plays Kincaid, said he was supposed to rip out his heart, but they thought it would be too too gross and too hard to get past the censors. Lame. Yeah. We'll say though, this is the scene is a return of the amazing practical effects say what you will about this movie series but practical effects a plus cool like reverse time-lapse footage uh, to get this it looked like yeah yeah i was really bummed to see kincaid die so early even though i was prepared for it but i liked that kincaid got to be kind of a part via his dog of what brought freddy back and that kincaid got to witness his return i liked that but Oh, I just yeah. love, I love that character. Yeah, um, I have some beef with the, uh, with the pacing of how they go through the different um, teens, but we'll, we'll get to that at the end, but yeah. yeah. And after we say goodbye to Kincaid, we get over to Joey in his bedroom, gazing after a uh, signed poster of a blonde bikini model that looks very similar to the blonde nurse he had a crush on in the last movie. And he kind of dozes off, and in his dream, the bikini model is all of a sudden gone from the poster. But she's inside his waterbed, and that's not cause for panic at all. He's stoked. (laughs) But before Joey can figure out how to get to her, she disappears back down into the waterbed, and Freddy comes out. And Joey really should have learned his lesson with these these kinds of dreams, because... This is some deja vu. So Freddy jumps out, slices his way through the top of the waterbed and pulls Joey in, bringing him under and stabbing him. And we see the waterbed just go blood red. A moment later, we get a cool scene where his mom comes in his room to find some laundry. And so she's moving stuff around on his bed to look for clothes. And she finds that now his body is sealed inside the waterbed mattress, which is a totally normal thing that happens all the time. Obviously a suicide. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, a suicide with all the kids who were survivors of some sort of traumatic massacre from a mental hospital yeah (laughs) Yeah. nothing folks don't worry about it yeah nothing to see here move along well the next morning cut back to Kristen, who's smoking at school Uh, when alice rolls up they discuss nightmares and alice just kind of asks Kristen if she's ever heard of the rhyme the dream master but then proceeds (laughs) to say nothing about the rhyme or anything about it she just says you need to remind yourself you're in control of the dreams and dream about someplace fun my partner and i watched this together and we stopped and looked at each other and <laughs> laughed this this was a really weird scene and foreshadowing of a lot of just like plot hole potholes uh throughout this film mm-hmm. yeah this one felt this scene in particular just felt shoehorned in yeah it was the weird dream master <laughs> yeah Kristen goes into her class and she sees the two empty chairs where joey and kincaid's desks are and she screams falls backwards into the corner and faints she she wakes in the nurse's office, though the nurse is very clearly Robert England in drag. 
and then of course reveals that it, the nurse is Freddy. He says he wants to draw some blood and he squirts a syringe at her, but before he can really do anything to her, Kristen is awoken by the real nurse with some smelling salts. This time for real, though I do like that the real nurse says the same exact lines that the Freddy yeah. nurse said, um, which I think is a f- just, I don't know, kind of like a fun, creepy little treat here. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Alice at the Crave Inn. Get it? Yeah. Diner, and we see a uh, cute guy, uh, Hunky Dan. <laughs> Torrent just got it. Yeah. <laughs> and we see Hunky Dan coming reference. in looking for Rick, which it did not actually seem like they were friends before, but they are now. Debbie wonders out loud where Dan works out, and Sheila, nerdy Sheila, tells her there's more to life than exercise, which is kind of just really driving home. Debbie's obsessed with exercise, doesn't like bugs, and Sheila hates exercise and only studies and has asthma. Rick and Kristen burst in, and um, Rick lets Alice know that Kincaid and Joey are dead. Alice runs out with them, and as they leave, Dan just kind of follows. But, I don't know, that part seems so weird, because I was like, where's Dan going? Yeah. Why is Dan coming along? He arrived there with different people. We never specify why he's looking for Rick. Yeah. And then he just leaves with them, even though up to this point... He's, like, not even part of their group, because earlier he was, like, hanging out with his own friends at the other side. It's yeah. so weird that he's in that he leaves this scene with them for no reason. Yeah. Two things about that is, one, I think when I first, when this first, this scene first started rolling out, I thought Dan was going to, like, kick the shit out of Rick or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, like, Dan's, like, character archetype and Rick's character archetype was like, oh, Rick's gonna, like, get beat up. Secondly, we find out later that Dan is the new kid in school, or at least he moved recently. He mentions that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he's just, like, he finally finds some frenzy vibes with. He's just like, oh, I'm gonna follow these guys instead. He's, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to prop up paper walls here, but, you know. He's like, their breakfast club needs an Emilio Estevez. <laughs> What a coincidence. <laughs> that is me. I've seen the breakfast club. <laughs> um, speaking of Dan going off with them, uh, they then arrive at the very overgrown and somehow not condemned Elm Street house. <laughs> Alice then remembers the rhyme. Rick explains the Freddy Krueger backstory to Dan and also any audience members who are jumping into this just now. Um, shortly thereafter, Kristen's mom pulls up kind of out of nowhere and starts chastising her daughter, like saying like, Andale, Andale, we have to go, like go home. And uh, yeah, Kristen then gets in her, her Volkswagen Golf, I keep saying that, and drives home. I'm still very confused why Kristen's mom shows up there at all. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, it just kind of happens. Th- this whole scene is literally has like just a bunch of characters in the movie are at a location that, that no- and then nothing happens there. Yeah. Alice oh. remembers the also, rhyme, which is all she remembers is now I lay me down to sleep, the master of dreams, my soul to keep or something. And that's it. That's like all that happens. It's totally pointless. Also, yeah. I guess one thing that does happen too is at the very end of that scene, Alice looks looks down on mm. one of the paving stones in front of the house and it's the, the drawing from the, the intro yes. of the movie. Yeah. She takes a few steps, turns around and looks back and the picture is gone. Um, so a little supernatural stuff happens there too. But that's, yeah. yeah, the scene literally could not exist in the movie and it would have no impact on anything. Yeah. Yeah. At Kristen's house, she and her mother have dinner, but she starts feeling sleepy. She realizes that her mom has uh, spiked her drink with sleeping pills. Mom of the year! <laughs> She's furious and tells yeah, her mom that she just worst, killed her. Still. Yeah. yeah. Just just the worst parents on Elm Street. Yeah. 
She runs up the stairs, and after some vertigo-inducing camera angles, she passes out on the floor. This is one of the most unnecessary, like, camera spins I've ever seen. It's real bad. It's bad, bad, not good. No. Our next scene, we are in Kristen's dreams, and at first it seems totally normal. She's on a warm, sunny beach, just living life. The little girl from before that was drawing the chalk picture of the Elm Street house is now in this dream building a sandcastle, which starts to make Kristen feel a little weird. And then we zoom out into the water and we see some kind of fin is heading towards the beach. And as it gets closer and closer, it starts to look more and more like Freddy's glove. And once it gets right up to the beach. It goes through the sandcastle to explode it, and Freddy explodes out of the sandcastle. The little girl's just gone (laughs) at this point. And Kristen tries to... Freddy shark so bad. Yeah. Right? I I was sad. The missed opportunities here. No Freddy shark. And why isn't the sandcastle a sand Elm Street house? Oh, yeah. Well, she tries to get away, but she ends up in quicksand like you do. And Freddy has, oh man, he really cheeses it up in this scene and he dons these really spiffy shades uh, before sauntering up to her. Yeah, he kind of saunters up to her struggling in the sand pit and puts his shoe on her head and shoves her on through. So she falls through the quicksand, through the ceiling, back in the Elm Street house, and falls down into the boiler room. Freddy starts taunting her to summon one of your friends and, you know, bring in someone new. And she says no, but like almost immediately calls for Alice. And Freddy is very excited about the fresh meat and throws Kristen into a furnace. Before Kristen can be fully incinerated, she yells out to Alice that Alice will need her dream power. And she like, yeah, she throws some kind of energy ball into Freddy and he absorbs it, but then it comes out of him and goes into Alice before Alice wakes up. And that's that's where Kristen fucked up. Yeah, she says you'll need my dream power, but it's because Alice has her dream power yeah. that most of the other characters in this movie die. Yep. If Alice couldn't bring people into her dreams, Freddy has no connection because these aren't Elm Street kids anymore. Kristen is the last of the Elm Street children. And by the logic of the movie, Freddy needs the dream power to pull them in. So why did... The logic of this movie is very backwards. It doesn't make any sense. This part of the movie is stupid. Also... The energy ball going into Freddy is not consequential at all. Yeah. It doesn't adjust or change the power in any way. It doesn't seem to affect him at all. It doesn't hurt him or weaken him or stun him. It's just like bad gas. Just has Um, a gas bubble, burps it back out. This is the point where we see the, you mentioned this in the last episode, Aaron, it's the point where we see the, takes off his shirt and rips his shirt off and there's all the faces Mm -hmm. imprinted in his body. Yeah. It's like the first time we see that again. Also kind of a cool, maybe an homage to the original film with the, when she falls uh, into that room through the sands, she's on the ceiling and the, the, looks like the furniture has been nailed down again for that yeah. effect. So it's like, oh, it's kind of like maybe an homage to the, to the original movie. Yeah. Rennie Harlan is doing a lot of a Wes Craven homage in this movie. I kind of wish he had have let Wes Craven, I don't know, direct it because it's Aww. not very good. Yeah. In the real world, Alice wakes up and sees a, 
a new postcard on her mirror that says greetings from hell um but it is freddy with Kristen uh somehow it combusts and rick rushes in and they run off to Kristen's house uh where there's coolie fire in her upstairs bedroom um it's too late for them though as uh rick alice and Kristen's mom open the door to seeing Kristen being immolated on her bed um yeah. as the supposed last of the, the elm street kids uh, at Kristen's funeral we see she's being buried next to every other person who's ever died in this franchise for some reason <laughs> uh, freddie very kindly bought bulk plots yeah. Ahead it, of time. Like Nancy Thompson's here, Donald Thompson's here, like everyone yeah. who's died is in this plot for some reason. She tells Rick later that something happened in the dream and that part of Kristen is with her. They, they have this conversation while they're watching uh, videotapes of their friend's group hanging out. Then we see uh, her almost light up a cigarette in the bathroom before she realizes that she doesn't smoke. Where'd she get those cigarettes from then? I don't know. I hated that. The dream that. warrior. <laughs> the dream warrior. Yeah, she can also conjure... Items. Uh, Sheila shows Kristen this bug zapper that she's made for Debbie before class, and it looks like a bunch of gadgets just jammed together, so we know it must work. Uh, in class, we see Alice has drifted off, and somehow she's pulled Sheila into dreamland with her because Sheila's homework starts, like, moving, or her test? I think it's a test. Yes, yeah, test. They're taking a test. Sheila's test papers start, like, the lines start all moving around, and the equations are going a little funky, and then they reform to say, learning is fun with Freddy. And then her pen, because she's using a fountain pen in a math class, uh-huh. <laughs> starts dripping blood and a weird robot arm comes out of her paper and attacks her face but then stops when we see freddy who's now at the front of the room is peeling an apple with his claw glove they both get trapped in their little school desk by the bar kind of coming up and wrapping around them on the open side so alice is unable to help as freddy walks up to Sheila and asks if she wants to suck face. And then he sucks the life out of her face and the rest of her in the dream world. Um, and when we get back to the real world, we see that Sheila is having just a particularly terrible asthma attack, but she doesn't come out of it. When she stops convulsing, she is gone. This robot arm mystifies me. Yeah, I... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doesn't. I don't know why it's there. Nope. Doesn't make any sense. She's a nerd. Yeah. She, she's an inventor. <laughs> Obvious. Obvi. Uh, man, they did Sheila dirty here. I, yeah. I really... I was, like, really feeling Sheila as a character, and they did her so dirty. They just didn't do um, anything with... Like, they didn't let her do anything... And then she gets a really just bizarre death. The effect is cool, though. I think the deflation effect looks really sweet. But, yeah. But it is like, yeah. it, I don't know. It's silly. It, yeah. It, yeah. Practical effects in, in this movie, again, top notch. But yeah, just the kids are a vehicle for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, outside, though, after, after Sheila's wheeled away uh, with the white sheet over her, Alice tells Rick that she accidentally pulled Sheila into her dream. And she laments that it's her fault that she's dead rick does the weirdest most <laughs> awkward run possible down a hallway arms and legs flailing out to the side um, right after telling dan that maybe freddie is real sister dropping like flies man we cut to the diner and dan is at the counter asking alice why freddie's after her and she says that maybe freddie can't get to the new kids unless she pulls them in for him 
since they aren't actually Elm Street children, which is what Kristen did to her, giving her that power. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next day in class, uh, Bob Shea, producer of for New Line, producer of the whole series, is cameoing as a teacher this time, and he explains a bunch of the movie's mythology that is mostly irrelevant as his lecture. He talks about there being two gates, one good, one evil. None of it actually matters. It's brought up only in passing at the very end of the movie, and it makes no sense. Alice falls asleep in the class as Rick falls asleep on the toilet. <laughs> it's weird because... Sheila wasn't really falling asleep, it seems. So it seems like Alice doesn't need the other person to be asleep to pull them into her dreams. But here, Rick is... I don't know. It's its weird. Yeah, Kristen didn't need the other people to be asleep yeah. all the time. Sometimes they were. Yeah. But not always. He <laughs> dreams that cheerleaders come into the stall with him for some reason. And then when they leave, he like goes out and Kristen's standing there. But she turns and her face is all burned and she scares him and he backs back into the stall. Which turns into an elevator. And he was supposed to die in a cool elevator themed kill but they ran out of money so instead uh the elevator carries him down into a sound stage dressed to look like some kind of stereotypical dojo it's a dollar store dojo uh-huh and uh rick is forced to fight invisible freddy in one of the worst kill scenes in in any franchise to be honest i hate it so much uh he gains a bit of an upper upper hand and like kicks the freddy claw away but then it just flies directly into his chest impaling him and killing him yeah at first, Freddy's completely invisible, but then when he, like, knocks the glove off or something, uh-huh. the glove becomes visible. And stays visible. And stays visible, even when Freddy seems to have put it back on. It doesn't make also, any did, sense. I hated it. Yeah, did anyone also notice that Alice was in the group of cheerleaders when they all ran into the bathroom stall? Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, Alice is, like, standing in the background, like, looking kind of horrified. Or just, like, <laughs> staring at Rick, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's your sister, bro. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Um, oh, that probably felt very awkward for her. Like, why are you dreaming about this? All right, well, then we cut to Rick's funeral because we are very timely about these things. Um, where Alice has the worst daydream. Rick's just being goofy in the coffin. He goes, hello, baby. And it's it's terrible. And he pretends that his death was all a prank. But then he just gets right back in the coffin and shuts it. And I don't, I hated it. The scene I, that is, was so unnecessary. The scene is like condensed cringe. It's, yeah. so, it's so hard to watch. Yeah. Oh, it's, and it doesn't, it's pointless again. Yeah. The it's only good thing weird. is Dan's square tie and Alice's cool round black glasses. Yes. <laughs> So then Dan, Debbie, and Alice decide to meet up and make a plan to work together and beat Freddy. They all agree to meet at the diner at 8. Yep. Uh, next scene, Alice continues to take photos down of her friends that have been murdered in a super heavy-handed metaphor, um, while also hanging up the different accoutrement that she was bestowed by them as they died, like uh, Sheila's high-frequency bug deterrent and... Her brother's, uh, like, rising sun headbands. <laughs> uh, and his nunchucks, which she then demonstrates that she knows how to use really proficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sneaks out later uh, after her father tries to, like, keep her in because he's drunk and bereaved that his son died. And he's kicking himself for not watching his children closer. Um, she sneaks out later, but nobody's at the diner. She decides to go see uh, a movie. Um 
starts out as a reefer madness, um, but then becomes like a rundown black and white scene of the diner, which yeah. starts in a pretty, again, cool practical effect scene sucking her into it um pulling her shoe into the screen in the process along with her like soda and her popcorn she then goes inside the the film and into the diner and finds an old version of herself uh working by the counter this is like her biggest fear which she like kind of alludes to earlier in the movie uh when she was working freddie shows up brandishes a giant pizza with uh really cute little soul meatballs of all yeah. her uh dead friends on it <laughs> Freddy uses his razor gauntlets and picks up the Rick meatball and he stabs through it and eats it. Uh, Freddy tells Alice to bring him more souls and she accidentally opens the door to Debbie, um, allowing Freddy to then go kill her later on. She's working out in some sort of like attic or basement room that's been converted to her gym. Um, Alice wakes up back at home without her shoe and rushes to the diner now in real life to try and meet up with Dan. They meet up and they get in a truck but uh, the, it plays it within these two scenes that I'm going to kind of describe are playing simultaneously. But the gist of their half of the scene is that they're caught in a time loop. So while we see Deb's uh, fate uh, unroll here, they they slowly catch on to the fact that they're just repeatedly get, you know, running from the diner to the car, driving, going to Deb's house, getting out, running up to Deb's house, then appearing back at the diner yeah. because they're both asleep. Deb is uh, lifting, lifting weights in what is, in my opinion, the best kill in all of Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the, the saving grace of this movie to me. So as she's lifting weights, we see Freddy's reflection in the side of the barbell uh, as, as she is pumping iron there. And and then she, he pushes down on the weights as she's lifting them and it causes both of her elbows to like split and then as she's like waving them around like floppily and panicking uh cockroach arms sprout from both her like wounds and her, her like human forearms fall off mm-hmm. these cockroach legs come through smaller cockroach legs come out of her shoulders um and then she's like running with these this like gross half transformation this is foreshadowed uh by the roach but also earlier rick in some throwaway line mentions that he prefers kafka to goth uh yeah with, you caught that too <laughs> which which is clearly uh also kind of an allusion to this this yeah. here then uh <laughs> so she runs and she ends up inside of a roach motel like trap with the uh, sticky floor and she eventually falls and her face lands in it and when she pulls her face out of it it pulls all the skin off of her face revealing the roach head and then we see Freddy's eye as he looks in and then he tells her that uh, you can check in but you can't check out and then he squishes the trap and all this like yellow goo comes gushing out of it uh, and Deb is no more. And I just want to say, as much as I don't like this movie overall, I really fucking love, I love this scene. The practical <laughs> effects here by Screamin' Mad George, one of my favorite practical effects artists in horror, are amazing. Yeah, pretty great scene. Back in the car, Alice sees Freddy in the road, so she's steps on the gas to try to hit him. At this point, they've figured out that they were in a loop, and they broke out of the loop, but they were too late. So she tries to hit Freddy in the road but instead in real life she wrecks dan's truck in a tree which seriously injures dan um in the ambulance ride a paramedic attempts to sedate dan but alice like slaps it out of his hand and claims that dan is allergic this is a very i don't know the paramedic seems very irritated with alice and alice seems just completely hysterical it's a little overwrought but okay at the hospital dan has to go into surgery so alice realizes there 
gonna have to sedate him. So she books it home, stealing her dad's car, and has this montage where she takes the time to put on all of the little trinkets that she's gotten from all of her dead friends, like a serial killer, and looks at herself in her mirror, now free of obstructions because she's replaced her non-personality with the personalities of all of her friends. (laughs) Also Um, delivering the liner, fucking A. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense because that's Kincaid's line, and we'd never even seen them interact in this movie. Yeah. Even on, like, the videotape, so uh, she didn't, and Kincaid died before she had this ability. It doesn't make any sense. She definitely didn't get anything from Kincaid or Joey, so I don't know. She then takes some of the sleeping pills and jump kicks her way through the mirror. Those drugs are cool. Um, She jump kicks her way through the mirror and through the uh, x-ray light into Dan's dream where Freddy uh, is the surgeon about to perform surgery on him. Alice helps Dan off the operating table. And they go into like a weird kaleidoscope tunnel that Freddy begins to spin for some reason. And I think he says, what is it? It's like, you two lovebirds out for a spin? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> they fall down the tunnel through a stained glass window into a church where we get some of that, you know, Catholic iconography we got in the last film injected back in. Dan says he's done for, begins to fade, but it turns out he's waking up from surgery back in the real world. He begs the doctor to put him back under so he can try to go help Alice. Um. Instead, it's one-on-one. The fight we've all been waiting for. Alice versus Freddy. And there's an absurdly long like scene of her just like wailing on him with a combination of Kristen's super gymnastics and Rick's karate powers. <laughs> but Freddy's like laughing it off the whole time. Freddy throws her across the room through like a table or like a cabinet. He then brings up that he's guarded his gate for a long time, which means nothing. It's just connected to that <laughs> stuff Bob Shea told us <laughs> that they forgot to like fully put in the movie. There, we don't know what that means. No. And we never see these gates. Is Alice guarding a gate? Who knows? We don't know. Um, So Alice, uh, like, smashes a hole in the wall, pulls a wire from it, connects it to Sheila's bug zapper, and blasts a hole through Freddy. But he just kind of hand waves it away, and then he's, he's... hole again he knocks her to the ground and up on the church balcony some of the uh jump rope girls though they're not jumping rope start saying the dream master rhyme again and this time they bother to say the important part which is that (laughs) the end of the rhyme is evil shall see itself and it shall die which would be stupid if it had have happened earlier in the movie but it's even it's even dumber because it's only are we hearing it right now and then alice is like oh yeah what an epiphany and she grabs a mirror and she shouts the line yeah she says, evil shall see itself and it shall die. And she like holds it and Freddy like acts all shocked. We get this cool view of like the inside of Freddy with all the souls waving around in his like digestive yeah. tract or something. But we do get really awesome effects of the souls like sprouting uh, out of him, yeah. uh, in- including Scream Queen Linnea Quigley, who we haven't seen anything else yet, but she's in a million horror movies. Just not these ones. Showing off right her now. boobs for yeah. some reason here. But other than that, it's just this really amazing effect of all these arms sprouting out of Freddy and like literally ripping him apart. Yeah. And then all the souls, cool. yeah, all the souls fly off out of the uh, out of the ceiling of the church, and uh, Freddy is. Once again, vanquished. Yeah. Very nonchalantly, by the way. The souls are like, woo, goodbye. Right. See ya. <laughs> Very nonchalant about uh, their, their being freed of, of Freddy's clutches. Yeah. 
That, for me, having the, uh, we always watch movies with the captions on, and especially having the captions on for that part just really took it up a notch in hilarity of just, woo, <laughs> ah, goodbye. Yeah. Captioning game. <laughs> so I, great. The same thing. It's just, it added an extra layer. Yeah. All right. In our final scene, um, Alice leaves the dream church and cuts into the real world where she and Dan are at a outdoor fountain. We're not really sure how far this is in the future. It could be the next day or I don't know. Dan convinces her to make a wish in the fountain's wishing pool, but she briefly sees the reflection of Freddy before it kind of disappears with the coin rippling into the water. Um, and I've got that Sinead O'Connor song. Just As I put your hands yeah, on me. Sending yeah. us out. Send us home, Sinead. That's, yep. what, I, that's what I say. That's what you always say? Yep. yep. Uh, Play us off, Sinead. So, <laughs> real quick, this movie, what did you guys think? Anna, why don't, why don't you, uh, you go first? I don't know. I didn't hate it, hate it, but like, not a lot of plot happened in this movie. This movie felt very cobbled together. It felt more like someone had a wish list of special effects they wanted to get done, and they wrote the movie around that than they actually had a concept for another movie. But those special effects were really awesome. So, I don't know. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't a good movie. Okay. Uh, Torin, how about you? was a vehicle for practical effects otherwise it was yeah yeah you could it was so bad you could fast forward through like most of the movie and just watch the kills and freddy's death scene and you'd be like pretty good on the important the the cool parts of this movie yeah this, this movie feels like the first time they the the characters are there as tissue paper for freddy to just murk through yes like there's no like second it's like oh i barely escaped like at least the other movies have this this level of tension between like are they gonna make it are they not you know maybe one or two of them escapes a couple times and so there's like some suspense build up it's like no okay after the third person meeting freddy once and getting murdered i i'm pretty sure all these people are just gonna get murked yeah. yeah, and you don't really develop a strong connection to any of them. Very like, one-dimensional characters. Yeah, the only person that I was really bummed about was Kincaid. And then there were a few other characters where I was like, you could have made me care about this person had they had any story at all. Yeah, yeah like but, Sheila and Debbie like Sheila. had a really cool relationship at the start. Like, yeah. they, at first I thought Debbie was going to tease Sheila, but they like kind of have a thing like a friendship going on where like debbie def- stands up for sheila i'm like oh this is interesting and they did nothing yeah. with it they mm-hmm. those two spend almost no time with each other on screen after that moment right so uh rennie harlan directed this one um he's directed a lot of other things some things i like like the long kiss goodnight some things i don't <laughs> like cutthroat island but uh <laughs> there was a writer's strike going on uh, that really clearly hurt this movie. Yeah, it um, shows. It's it definitely shows. And I, so I, I, I get it. You know, writer strike. You can't. You may not be able to do rewrites. I don't know. It's just 
pro- it, this movie's plot is a huge mess. Mm-hmm. It it even when the no matter how silly the other ones got, they at least made sense on some fundamental level. They may have had some plot holes, but they had like a framework that I I understood. Yeah. This movie just keeps like bringing up ideas that it never goes anywhere with. Yeah. The whole the movie's called The Dream Master. We're told of a rhyme, The Dream Master, and then we only hear the second half of the rhyme that's used as like the like haha, I turned it on Freddy and won. Yeah. We only hear of that right before it happens. It's so bizarre. Um, is Alice the Dream Master? You know, what? what's going on? Yeah, I, Alice is the Dream Master, and we know, because she's also the main character of the next movie. Um, so well, The Dream Childs. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a rough... It's the first movie that I, like... I don't know. I don't love as a film. I still love just the practical effects that I, I think are worth a single watch. But like, this is not one I'm like, I got to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Torn brought up a good point where like, in the last movie, even if we didn't see all of their like interactions with Freddy, we met the kids after they had had traumatic experiences with Freddy. Yeah. And it seemed like Freddy liked stalking the kids and kind of scaring them a bit before he murdered them. Yeah. And then in this one... The characters literally only have personality traits for Freddy to use them to murder them. Yep. Like, that's that's it. Oh, you have asthma? Freddy's gonna suck the air out of you. Oh, you mm-hmm. hate cockroaches and you lift weights? Freddy's gonna use those two things to kill you. Yep. You like karate? Freddy's gonna kill you in a in weird a dojo. dojo. Um, it kind of sucks. I, yeah. I, I wish... The, the other kids, like, weren't all, like, super well-defined. Obviously, some of them more defined than others. But I at least, like, kind of cared about most of them like on some level yeah. and yeah. i just um i don't and i think that is also um kind of indicative of a common talking point about this a lot of people describe this as the point in the franchise where freddy krueger is the main character yeah like they're selling halloween costumes at this point they're selling all this merch of freddy they realize he's the pop culture icon so he's the main character of the movie we're never, like, sad to see him. We're always happy that he shows up. Because yeah. it's like, that's when you get the cool special effects and the good one-liners. Yeah. Although the one-liners in this movie are definitely weaker than the last movie. And he's now, like, the main character. Robert England gets top billing. And I'm, you know, Robert England is awesome. And he's, you know, he, he built one of the best horror villains of all time here. But, yeah. but the problem is that I don't think franchises really can keep their quality when the mass murderer, the child murderer, as it will, is turned into the protagonist so that you can sell a lot of his merch to children. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it's, it's interesting, for sure. Um, yeah, like, like the, the kids exist for the, the most shallow, like, story vehicle, and it's all just, how can Freddy kill these people as, you know, just run through them as fast as possible. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's a bizarre choice. Yeah. In addition, we've had movies where the writing is good, but the acting can't really live up to it. And we've had um, movies where the actors seemed better, but the writing kind of dropped in quality in this series. Um, I think the last movie was where they were both at their best overall. Uh, this movie has, like, both. Yeah. Like, the writing is mostly not good. Yep. And then, like, a lot of the actors, especially Lisa Wilcox, who plays Alice, are just... So wooden. And the interesting actors are the ones who don't get anything to do. Like, yeah. I feel like Debbie is one of the better performers in the yeah. movie. Yeah. She doesn't have anything to do. Agreed. Yeah. Um, 
Rick is super cringy, and you're right, he's totally like the karate weeb we all were when we were like eight years old in the 80s, but the problem is that he is um, like in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he runs the weirdest. I mean, Alice also had a weird run. Her run was very melodramatic, and then his was just goofy as hell. Yeah. These these characters almost do things that normal people would do. Almost. Almost. <laughs> They're almost like normal people, but yeah, it's just like, just a little like off-center, like the writing and like the delivery is just like, uh, it feels like you said, really wooden, stilted. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I don't know if there's too much else to, to bring up here. Uh, fun, I mean, there's some funny things. Like, Rennie Harlan was apparently dating Tuesday Night, who plays uh, Kristen. And people have said they were, like, kind of insufferable to work with on set together, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and which one? Which actor is Rennie Harlan again? Well, Rennie Harlan is the director. Ah, okay. And he's made a lot of movies uh, of varying quality. <laughs> but, but, yeah, he was dating Tuesday Night, who who uh played Kristen. I do like by the way that when Kristen has the opening scene because she's replacing Patricia Arquette <laughs> as the character, she says her name to herself yeah. so that we as the audience can go, "Oh, okay, this is the character from the last movie." Yeah. <laughs> um which I think is is pretty funny. Yeah. Um was there anything else you guys wanted to talk up uh talk about before we do some science? Like like I said this this movie's a vehicle for practical effects. Yeah. Uh it's pretty abysmal otherwise. It's, what was your favorite death, Torin? My favorite death was, man, probably like the Metamorphosis Kafka one with Debbie. Yeah. Um, that one, like you know, that's it was legitimately really good. Um, I loved where I also loved where Freddie puts on the the like the Wayfarers, like the the Ray Bands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like proceeds to like curb stomp, uh, <laughs> Kristen through the sands. Yep. Yeah, how about yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, you can't deny the Kafka-esque bug scene. It's really great. It's really well done, and it's just really great. Um, I know that, like, Kincaid's death wasn't as satisfying practical effects-wise, but just because I love that character so much, I really like that scene. And I also liked the the zooming out from the junkyard and seeing kind of that hopeless labyrinth that he had gotten cornered into. Junk planet. Yeah. I yeah. I, I love yourself, Eric. I, I love the cockroach death. Um it allows me to say that someone got Gregor Samsud as a verb. <laughs> Uh, the character who that happens yeah. to in the metaphor metamorphosis if you've yeah. ever read it which i uh i appreciate that um and it's just super unique um you know i've watched uh the human body be bisected and chopped apart and torn apart and eaten in every uh, in torn. a million ways uh, <laughs> but this uh i this is the only time i've seen uh someone's arms broken and then them turned into a cockroach one limb at a time, and then squished in a roach motel. So I appreciate yeah. um, the uniqueness. So with that, we're going to plug uh, you two into the Scarometer. Let's start with Anna. You were at 40% where you've been for the last few weeks. You've kind of sat at 40%. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and uh, plug into the diodes there and give me your readout uh, for where you are after this movie. I'm at 39%. You went down 1%. I went down. And I know that probably feels unfair because I didn't let myself go up for the earlier Freddy movies 
because I knew I was going to go down eventually. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Sorry. Well, I wish I could tell you that I think you're done going downward, but... No, I know I'm not. Um, the next two movies are worse than this one. So, and I, I just want to be honest to prepare you both for that. So, um... Yeah, I can feel it getting worse. Torin, <laughs> you were at 42%. You had, yeah. you had uh, the Dream Warriors boosted you up a couple percent last week. D- were those gains lost by the Dream Master? Uh, they're they're applying the anesthesia right now, and oh god, I can't I can't go to sleep. No, ah, it's me, Freddy again, <laughs> here to coming for Torn in the Skira murder. <laughs> uh, seems like Torin went down five percent. Ooh. My performance wasn't that riveting. It, this, the kills barely made it worth watching. Apparently, ah ha ha ha. <laughs> well, we always appreciate it when you stop by, Freddy. Uh, if there's any chance you could return Torin to consciousness for us. Oh my God! Oh, there's a, a weird dog bite on my arm. I'm oh no. gonna just ignore this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be funny medical if that's attention. actually how medical Kristen died. Attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, got it, cuts, it cuts like, back yeah. even further, and yeah, she's just dying on a hospital bed from an gangrene from an infected dog bite. Yeah. With that said, uh, we have to do our other bit of science, which is we have to rank the film. A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, directed by Rennie Arlen, stars Tuesday Night, Robert Englund, Lisa Wilcox. Right now, our list has eight movies on it. Uh, the best horror movie of all time, according to this list right now, is The Witch. And the worst movie uh, in the eighth spot is Drag Me to Hell. Uh, I think right away, this is the worst Nightmare on Elm Street. We can all agree yes. on that, right? Yep. And, and, and there's no it, way Torrin's going to let us put it above Motel Hell. Even though yeah, it's was, definitely better than Motel no, Hell. No, no, the, before no you, yes, Before is. you said such <laughs> filth on a... I was going to extend an olive branch and be like, listen... You can't think this is better than Motel Hell. This is by far a worse film. I don't care if it had more money for practical effects. This is by far a worse film. Story-wise, like, it's 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 night and day. Come on. Okay, well, I, no. I'm going to say that I also don't think it's better than Mask of the Red Death because it doesn't have uh, Vincent Price telling some old Italian noble that he had sex with his wife already, so... <laughs> to take that offer elsewhere. The next <laughs> yeah. So I think the real question is, is this movie worse than Drag Me to Hell? No. No, it's not. Drag Me to Hell is so bad. Yeah. Okay, all right. I, I, this, I, movie, this movie still is the star power of Nightmare on Elm Street to, to help it along. It also had like, Kincaid for a little bit, and that was enough. Yeah. Like, it's worth watching it in a canonical sense, and that if, if you're going to watch the Nightmare on Elm Street films... You should also watch this one, I guess, and probably the ones after it, I guess. Um, but Drag Me to Hell is there's no before, there's no after. It's just a standalone bad movie. Yeah. All right, I would put it. I would put it below Drag Me to Hell, but given that you both agree quite vehemently about this, I'll I'll let it go, and we'll put this in at number eight on the list. What will dethrone Drag Me to Hell at the bottom of the list? I predict it will be in this series. <laughs> um, because uh, there's there's some stuff coming. Um, Lovely. But I'm glad that uh, we 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 are doing the, the science. We're getting this in. You can find this list uh, linked from our uh, Twitter bio. We'll give out the Twitter and stuff later in the show. Um, and also, 
we're going to have a Discord up where you can uh, join and chime in with stuff, and it will also be linked there. Um, next week, we are going to watch... Uh, no, we're not watching for the Dream Master. We're watching Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Um, oh, that's me. I, I, I'm going to... A little spoiler here. Alice is going to get preggers. Oh. And the plot is going to revolve around that unborn child. Oh. And we're also going to return to the Amanda Kruger subplot and actually see parts of the scene. So, uh, content warning, uh, rape, sexual assault, uh, along with all the usual things, child murder. Um, pregnancy. Pregnancy, nudity. Um, the next one's one of the like more graphic films and, and more like... Uh, transgressive films, though not in a cool way. I can't wait. So we're gonna, we're gonna watch that next week. Um, Ooh, was this movie was this the next movie made in the eighties still, or is it has it moved on to the nineties? I think the Dream Child is still is still eighty nine, but let's check. Let's let's check before I Damn, give you eighty nine. They they literally made Nightmare on Elm Street four, then turned around and made five in under a year. Well, most of them are under a year because we went eighty four for one, eighty five. I think I think it's one a year all the way through the back half of the eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, they churn these out. Um, they, it's kind they... of impressive. Any of them are good. Yeah, I think so. Um, but there will be. I think the next. I think six is the first one to be in. I think it's in ninety one or something. So um, we'll get we'll get that one with its distinct nineties flavor. Yeah, more flavorful than the uh the rap at the end of this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the fat <laughs> boys though. I got I gotta give him some respect. So before we uh leave, uh where can people talk to us? If you wanna let us know on our social media how we did, uh we are on Twitter at how the number two love the dark mm-hmm. uh at Twitter. I am at NPC Aaron on Twitter, um, and you can also see what I think about the movies we watch on Letterboxd, uh, where I am Guns, Gods, Ghosts, all one word. Mm-hmm. Anna, how about you? I am also on Twitter at Cellophobia, with an S, um, and you can look at my individual correct ratings of the movies that we're yes, sure. watching <laughs> on Letterboxd. My username there is Anna, A-N-A, underscore, Rampage. And if you want the correct, correct movie ratings, you can eventually find my Letterboxd, which will be posted in future episodes. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, you can find me at BraceyTK, that's B-R-A-C-E-Y-T-K, on the gram, posting pictures of sausage and little tiny plastic men. So those are the things I like to do in my spare time besides record this podcast. Um, and we we appreciate any uh, any reaching out to us you do or letting us know what you think. But you can really help us uh, if you leave a review on the podcast app of your choice that you're using. Those all help us in the various algorithms. Subscribe to the podcast. Or if you have a friend uh, or you're part of a community that you know might like the show, please just tell them. That is the biggest help of all. Um, our awesome intro-outro music is by Dion Dusk. Please check him out. Uh, friend and local uh, Northwest hip hop artist, and our art, uh, our wonderful artist, 
that uh, did our logo, you can find at Suzy Draws. That's S-U-Z-I underscore draws on Instagram. Love you, Suzy. <laughs> That's my girlfriend. <laughs> and with that, uh, we just have to say that we hope you tune in next time for another episode of How to Love the Duck. Good morning, depending on what time you listen to this. <laughs>